This is Press Publish, a weekly conversation about journalism, technology, and the media business, where we talk with the people building the future of news. I'm Josh Benton, director of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard. This is Episode 9. My guest today is Amy Mitchell. Amy is acting director of the Project for Excellence in Journalism at the Pew Research Center. They are out today with their annual report, The State of the Media. Seems like there's a new report about media and journalism every five minutes these days, but a new state of the media is always worth a read. It's Pew's annual attempt to round up how things look across different media, print, broadcast, online, and from different angles, from business models to distribution to consumption. The whole report's worth checking out. It's out today at stateofthemedia.org. But a few days ago, Amy and I talked through some of the highlights. To mention three, we talked about changes in local TV news, which is still the number one source of news for Americans. We talked about the original social media, people learning about news from their friends and their family, and we talked about how many Americans are noticing that their news reports are getting thinner and are walking away from them. Here's our conversation. So it's a it's a cliche at State of the Union addresses that uh, after a little bit of an intro, the president has to say that the State of the Union is strong. Uh, would you say the same thing about the the State of the Media? I would say the state of the media is challenged. I would say there are opportunities. There have been uh, some clear areas of innovation and some signs of finding some success. But when you look at uh, uh, the state of the media overall, the, the challenges continue to amount. The pressures continue to increase in many ways. And uh, the, the model to sustain and be able to uh, really in many ways uh, sort of re-energize quality reporting uh, don't seem to have come fully into existence at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about, about the report itself, um, you know, sort of a, a state of the state of the media. Um, how, what's the thinking behind this? I guess you've been doing this for about 10 years now. What's uh, what's what's the idea of doing this as a as an annual report as opposed to or in, in supplement to all the other research you do during the year? Well, it's a great question. And this is this is our 10th uh, year anniversary. Uh, so uh, we, we put out our first report in uh, 2004. Uh, and, um, the main purpose behind it is twofold. One is to be able to look very deeply into each sector across a number of different areas. So everything from economics to audience to, uh, you know, how, what the investments and resources inside the newsroom are, because those things all overlap. And many studies can sort of tackle one thing at a time. But it's important, we feel, to be able to to step back and say, how do all these things fit together in cable news or local news or at newspapers? Um, because clearly that's how the industry is experiencing them. And then the other is to um, uh, look across all the different sectors overall, which really is not done by many um, other organizations. And when we began it, really, you know, hasn't, hadn't been done by anybody to, to be able to look across all of these, across news magazines and what's happening in audio and, and other areas and say, what does all this add up to? After we've gone very, very deeply into each of these sectors to step back and say, what do we see happening across these areas? And what does this say about the state of things overall? And where are we seeing new developments? Uh, and, and, and then the sort of the third element is, because the, 
the, what's in this report is a mix of our original uh, research, as well as our analysis and sense making of research that's out there. And you think back to sort of this era, there was um, a lot that wasn't really understood about which audience number do I use? How do I make sense of an audience number that's, you know, 10 times bigger than the other one I just saw yesterday? And so to try to help people make sense of the differences in the numbers and which, you know, which areas seem to have some some clarity and, 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 and in others where there's... Yeah. As you're preparing a report like this, do you have a target audience in mind? Or is this, are you primarily thinking of people in the news industry and how they might you know, gain some intelligence about this? Or who are you thinking about? Well, it's a pretty wide audience uh, at, a, at a number of different levels. I mean, clearly those in the, those in the industries, we hear again and again uh, uh, people within a news organization saying, you know, I have my entire news staff read this or, or within a news company, you know, we are all – uh, uh, this is a must-read, you know, across our whole organization. It's also used um, a great deal by uh, in the academic and education community for teaching. We have uh, professors that actually use these, create mod teaching modules, if you will, out of parts of the report. Um, and you know, also those who are working with the media, uh, we find um, find this very useful to try to help learn and understand what's happening both in the industry, how the industry is working, and also how consumers are getting their information and sort of the changes and trends that are happening there. And our international audience um, is very large for this as well. In terms of, and, and in fact, we've had a number who have come to us saying, we want to create the same thing in our country, the same kind of report in our country, to, to try to get a sense overall of, of the news media. Yeah, that's it's certainly true that there are lots of people in other countries who are seeing what's happened, what has already happened here, happened in different ways there. And there's always an interest in what's, what's, what's happening to the American media system. Uh, let, let me, let me ask you, let me start off. There are a few elements I wanted to, to highlight and to, and to talk about. Um, and the first one I wanted to, to highlight was, was this idea of, of the public abandoning news sources. Um, you have a, a line in the report that says the, the public for its most part is not very aware of the financial struggles that have led to the news industry's cutbacks and in reporting, but nearly one in three, 31% say they have stopped turning to a particular news outlet because it no longer provides the news they were accustomed to getting. Uh, I wonder if you just, was, was that a surprising uh, finding to you? Is it, is what can you tell us about who those people are who are walking away from certain news outlets? Yeah, this is an original survey that, that we did to release in this report. And, um, you know, what, what spurred it was, as I, as I was gathering information and, and, and talking to people and looking at the data that we have, one of the things we really didn't have a sense of was, well, are people actually leaving uh, outlets because, you know, it's not giving them what they were relying on it for? And so we put that question directly to the public and indeed saw that almost a third uh, have said, yes, I've left a news organization because it was not giving me the information I was accustomed to getting from it. Uh, and and we dug a, a further into um, what differences people saw uh, in they were getting. And we asked if people saw uh, more difference in terms of the number of stories or in the depth, and if you will, sort of the depth and breadth and you know quality of the, of the stories. And uh, a greater percentage uh, overall said that it was the the depth and the quality of the story that they were getting that they saw a decline in. And and when we look specifically at those people who had left an outlet, 
they tended to be those that, one, knew more, had heard more about the financial struggles the industry was facing, that uh, tended to be what fit the demographics of the heavier news consumers that we've seen in the past research that we've done, which includes um, those that are more highly educated, those that have, have higher incomes, and, uh, older generations, uh, males, more males than females that have left. Uh, and then also um, among that group, they were even more likely uh, to say that uh, 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 that their sense of what was what what had changed was uh, more tied to quality. You had sixty one percent say that they saw a bigger impact on uh, the depth and the breadth of the stories they were getting as as uh, as opposed to the uh, just to the raw number of stories uh, that they were getting from that part- from a particular outlet. And and so what that adds up to is you know a population that. Um, that, that tends to be one that may be the more engaged news consumer and the one that may be likely even in many cases to be more loyal overall. But they're saying, I, I'm not getting one anymore, uh, what I used to rely on it for, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go elsewhere. I'm curious, when I, when I saw that uh, the, the profile of the lever leaned towards older, male, wealthier, and more Republican, I was, did you ask about whether concerns about bias were an issue? I mean, just thinking of the election cycle we, we, we went through, Quality can mean a lot of different things. It could mean that the they're not the stories aren't smart enough. It could mean that I perceive a bias in them. Um, I'm just wondering if if that that factor might have been been part of of someone saying, "Gosh darn it, I'm not I'm going to stop reading the paper because they're a bunch of liberals or a bunch of conservatives or whatever else." We did not ask that. I mean, the exact wording of the question was that the stories are less complete. Uh, so you know, certainly people can interpret that to what they you know, find means less complete in their sense, but it's sort of less complete versus fewer in number. Okay. Okay. The other question that that popped up for me when I, when I saw that was, I I was wondering how much of that leaving might just be the normal, normal churn of living in a news universe with many more options. I mean, when I think about abandoning news, news outlets, I've abandoned dozens of news outlets over the last few years, just because there are always new outlets to sort of uh, draw my attention. And naturally, you you go to certain websites more or less over time. Did you have any any sense of, of what that attention was shifting towards, if anything? That's an interesting question. And, you know, we did specifically put in there the wording because it was no longer giving you, uh, you know, what what you were uh, accustomed to getting from it, rather than something like because you found a better, better alternative. Um, you know, what we've seen in other surveys that we've done um, suggests uh, pretty strong loyalty to news outlets, both over time and um, across platforms into outlets when we've done our mobile news surveys. In most cases, we see people saying, I'm still keeping up with my old outlets, but now I'm also adding new ones. Uh, so you don't, it's not a sense what we see in, in this, you know, vast array of outlets that are now available, um, a really strong degree of replacement. What we see more is additive. Mm-hmm. This suggests specifically people choosing to leave. And I, I am sure it's in the report because uh, I've, I've only had a chance to, to – I haven't read every single word in it. But uh, did, you, did you see an overall decline in media or news consumption in, in, in the survey data this year? Are, are people getting more, more or less news than they were a year ago? 
Well, what we saw was that particularly in television news, uh, we saw either flat or, or declining audiences in many cases, which was quite striking for an election year in particular, where television news tends to see um, quite a boost. So we see uh, in local TV, for example, declines across every single time slot uh, across all the four major networks. Uh, uh, on cable, it rose just a tiny bit. Uh, 1% overall, 3% in prime, I believe. Um, but with CNN down and, and Fox News flat, uh, network news declining, uh, newspapers were able to be flat uh, overall for circulation, much of that tied to these digital uh, pay plans that they have and are now able to count as a part of their circulation figure, mm-hmm. um, as well as some more lenient rules in terms of how you count those. So certainly not a, a boom year for audience, uh, and which is striking in particular, as I said, uh, with it being an election year. Well, but uh, but at the same time, you did report an increase in digital news consumption, the percent of people who said they got news digitally, either mobile or, 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 or desktop laptop was, was up. I'm, I guess I'm just trying to figure out whether there's an there's a read on the overall news consumption level. Not, you know, because if I think there are probably lots of people who read fewer newspapers now than they did five years ago, but whose digital news consumption more than makes up for the, the change. Absolutely. And, and, and in, in some of the other survey that data that we've done, um, there's a suggestion that people are getting more news than ever and, and that the people that have more devices that go across more platforms are the ones getting more and more and more news. So again, back to this additive experience that when you get a tablet, you don't stop getting news somewhere else. You just add in getting more news on your tablet. Uh, so, so, so overall, People seem to be spending more time with news. The other thing that we saw in in the latest mobile news survey we did this this past uh, uh, fall was people turning back to more long form kind of reading, to deeper news consumption, to consumption that is um, uh, things that I wasn't necessarily looking for, but I sort of stumbled upon when I was in this outlet and I thought were interesting. Getting news for personal interest, as opposed because it was you know something I needed for for work or or for some other reason. Uh, so clearly, a sense of strong engagement with the news and um, an additive experience overall. So so I think if you if, if you think about the general public. News is a big part of their day, and in many cases, a bigger part over more parts of their day uh, than it ever has been before. And, and does that transfer into uh, measures of knowledge? So, you know, uh, I remember when I was a kid, there were there was a story every other week in in my local print daily about how no one knows anything, no one can name the, the, all the Supreme Court justices, no one can find Afghanistan on a map. Uh, and I, I've always been a little bit. Uh, skeptical about the idea that there was this pastime when we were all, you know, could 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 define the could could re- recite the entire atlas from memory. Um, has this shift uh, had a significant impact that you've been able to measure on knowledge of matters of public interest or import? Well, one of the things we actually want to do is is tie some of that more closely together, particularly at the local level in terms of where you're getting information and knowledge about um, particular issues in your community or in your city. Uh, but but what has been seen in the national surveys uh, more generally is that actually trying to trend knowledge questions is pretty difficult because some years, for example, 
the Secretary of State is much more in the news or is just a person that is, you know, dynamic and has captured public awareness uh, or there are events occurring that involve that individual much more so than three years ago. And so, uh, you know, knowledge overall tends uh, about a particular thing tends to fluctuate year to year depending on what's going on and, and who that person is. So, so it is difficult to trend that kind of thing uh, uh, year to year. Yeah, it's hard to compare Hillary Clinton and Warren Christopher as as people <laughs> the world should know about. Uh, you, you did mention uh, uh, local television in in uh, a few minutes ago, and I wanted to drill down on that in part because uh, I I admit that we at Neiman Lab don't pay enough attention to local television, uh, and it is as is often noted uh, the 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 way that a very large way, if if not the largest way that people actually get their news. Um, you you did a, a content analysis looking at uh, the content of of local television programming and found that sports, weather, and traffic now account for forty percent of the content produced on an average newscast, a 25% increase since 2005. That's a pretty remarkable number. It is. And and what grew the most was coverage of sports, which doubled. And and so if you think about your local TV newscast, the, the traffic and weather are, are set segments that they have devoted. And they know every day, this, you know, for every newscast, this much of it's going to be filled and covered, if you will, by the traffic person and then the weather person. Sports is sort of uh, seems to have worked its way in as the third leg there is another segment that can be counted on that they don't need to uh, uh, plan for additional reporting or additional resources to go out to. And, and the, 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 what we see happening in local TV is one of the instances where the value of gathering data if, um, across a number of different things that are happening from economics to audience to the content and, and looking at those together really gives a picture that, that doesn't otherwise emerge. And what we saw was when we look, you look at what's happening in content, and it wasn't only that increase, but but government stories being cut in half, the stories overall uh, being shorter uh, than they were in the past. When the, what we looked at and what we looked at uh, uh, in 2012, uh, one of every four newscasts led with a weather story. It's pretty incredible. But then you, you put on top of that what we learned in our local news survey from a couple of years back where we asked people what they went to local television for. And indeed, the primary things, and again, it was the number one source. It's falling, but it's the number one source people name uh, in terms of, you know, where do you go for local information? And then also when asked sort of do you do you go to this kind of news outlet on a, on a regular basis? Local TV news still ranks first. But what people go to it for uh, was – Primarily two things, weather, or three things, weather, breaking news, and traffic. And all of those things, which we see in the content that we're looking at here, are things that are very replaceable, if you will, by any on-demand source that might be more convenient uh, on your mobile device or uh, in your car or, you know, at your computer. Uh, and so the sort of the ability to, to, to maintain Unique content that's going to keep an audience coming from you uh, is an is not in in the direction that we see local going, and and then the audience numbers overall again seeing declines across every times every key time slot for all the networks across the four sweeps um, uh, adds to that picture. Yeah, I did see four a.m. is the only the only growth period. Uh, I guess if you can count on more people waking up earlier, that's that's a good thing. But uh, I, I'm curious about about the the, the 
it seems like there are a couple dynamics there. One is the the dynamic between the the, the types of content, like you know, sports, weather, traffic versus government, politics, crime. Um, but there's also the how local it is. Uh, you mentioned that one of the things that did grow in uh, in, in the in the period you studied was uh, natural disasters and things for which you know ease of satellite coverage and and you know the ease of getting good video allows for things that are outside of the area that are spectacular to be represented. Uh, and, and sports kind of struck me as something that from a national perspective, from if you're talking about, you know, professional sports, for example, or major college sports, there's, there's a ton, <laughs> there's no shortage of information about any of that is, is that I mean, traffic and weather are both very local is, is the rest of the content mix still trying to maintain its, uh, its localness. Most of the content is does tend to have a local uh, nature to it, and we saw that too. And we did a study that looked um, very in depth at the study at the uh, 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 Baltimore, Maryland market. That local TV, uh, the vast majority of what it was producing, had a very local focus to it. Uh, and sports, in particular, is a, a big area of interest. I mean, it, it's it's an area that newspapers have found certain newspapers that they can. You know, if you're going to charge by channel as opposed to by the, the meter model, you might charge for your sports channel um, because that following of the local high school sports team or the, the you know, your local football team uh, is is very strong. But it's also an area where um, certain national uh, outlets like ESPN are moving in as well to be able to cover sports at the local level. It's uh, and local television also plays an interesting role in in, in markets where the newspapers are putting up paywalls of varying degrees of strength. Um, I personally have been surprised that we have, haven't seen as much of a reaction on the part of local television station websites, which are you know in most cases the strongest local brands other than the newspaper in any market, to try and take advantage of that. Is that is that something that that you're seeing that that any any, any reaction to that? We have some anecdotal um, uh, pieces here in the local TV chapter where the producers of stations have said, we've actually seen an increase in our audience, in our website audience, after our local newspaper put up a paywall. Uh, so uh, with a suggestion that they're you know, hoping to continue to see some benefit from that, you know, the the question there is, well, how long can the local TV, if they, if indeed they are moving digitally, and overall local television has been slower to move to the digital realm than, than some other platforms that we've seen, but if indeed they are moving digital, how long would they actually be able to you know, maintain a completely free site um, themselves as opposed to needing to be able to bring in some, some uh, uh, audience revenue from that? Yeah, a little a little birdie has told me that we're going to be seeing uh, at least one uh, significant local television news site go to a metered paywall soon. So we'll we'll see about that. Um, the the other piece on the on the television that really stood out it wasn't surprising, but the, the numbers were at a, uh, kind of stark in the scale. Um, it was referring it's referencing a separate Pew study that the number of adults under thirty who are regular local news TV news viewers has dropped precipitously from forty two percent in two thousand six to just twenty eight percent in two thousand twelve. Uh, I'm consistently surprised whenever I see uh, age demographic data on just about any television program where you find out that uh, a a show is considered to skew young if its median age is 58 as opposed to 65 or 70. Um, How much of of that shift is just the general aging of the traditionally consuming television audience and how much of it is specific to local news? Uh, you know, I'd want to pull some of those numbers out uh, in more detail, but but my sense is, I mean, the the um, 
the age demographic for network television, for example, has been has skewed older for many, many years. Uh, and so they're um, to a level that we did not see at local TV and, and, and the declines there, um, not as great as what we're seeing in local television. So this was an area that really stood out, um, in the news consumption survey, uh, uh, when this data was released. So it's, it, it, that's a, that's a big decline across just six years, uh, uh, for the, for the under thirties. Yeah. And you think those people have, they deal with the same weather as everybody else, the same traffic as everybody else. So yeah, they're also the ones that are faster, have been faster to move to digital, uh, uh, platforms, you know, to be going online for their news, to be, uh, you know, having their phone next to them when they wake up in the morning so that they can check and see what the weather is or what the traffic is. Uh, uh, so sort of to, to be operating more in that digital realm, as opposed to, um, you know, the, uh, the long traditional uh, mode of your local newscaster. Yeah. It, do do you have any read on the uh, the abandonment of local television, whether that is in favor of other local news sources or if it – I mean I would imagine, but I'm asking uh, – that, that the shift there, whatever time used to be spent there is probably sent, spent consuming – national uh, sources of information. It, it, it would seem like local television is, is less likely to be replaced in terms of attention with something else that's local. Is that, have you seen any data on that? You know, I, I, I can't, I, I couldn't answer that exactly. Um, you know, what we have seen in the newspaper market is uh, what, what started happening several years back was newspapers began to see declines was that when it got to the, uh, one of the areas that was hit hard first were the big metropolitan papers because they were trying to cover sort of a bit of everything. They were trying to cover your, your community news as well as the, the larger, you know, city news and also have some component of national and international news in there. And, and what people started doing was they were, they had a national news outlet that they were going to often in a digital form uh, or some other form that they felt was giving them a more complete national or international picture than what they were getting from that metropolitan newspaper. And then they were turning to their very local community paper for news. So those community papers have been doing quite well in terms of building an audience. So I don't know that it's, it, that it's, um, a lack of engagement or connection to the local level. I mean, people do seem uh, uh, quite engaged with with what's happening in their local community. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm an old, I'm an old print guy and an old digital guy, uh, so I, I apologize to the broadcasters who might be listening to this. But I, I guess at a certain level, I want to ask: How much should we care about a decline in local television news consumption? In that, you know, a, a lot of it. I mean, more of it is now weather and traffic and and sports, but a lot of it has always been weather and traffic and sports and crime and things that, you know, perhaps have a questionable uh, relationship to the civic needs of the information needs of their communities. You know, how how important is it beyond just the, the sheer volume of it, which, as you said, is very high? Well, you know, I'm I'm not here to say what what news should or shouldn't. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is that it's still the number one source people turn to. So it's in decline in terms of audience. The the content seems to be shifting towards a level that is 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 less deep and less uh, oriented around you know your uh, sort of civic kind of news, if you will. Uh, but it's it's what people are turning to for their information. And so in in terms of it being able to inform uh, your your local community and your local area. You know, it's a source that people are still relying on. And, and the question is, okay, well, then what are they learning about? Uh, and there's a lot that's not in that mix. 
Yeah. Before we move on, I do want to circle back to something we were, we were talking about earlier when we were talking about the people moving away from abandoning news outlets. Uh, the, the number that really the, – the piece that stood out to me, and I wasn't sure how to take this, was that the public was not particularly aware of the financial struggles of the media. On one hand, I thought – that's remarkable. We we journalists are incredibly self-involved, and we love to talk about ourselves and our own troubles and traumas. Uh, and somehow that isn't bleeding through. Uh, was was were you surprised to see that 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 me- that message, the thing that has obsessed you know our universe, uh, hasn't hasn't reached out? Well, you know, it's interesting, and I, and I think what it what it says is exactly that, which is that, gosh maybe we haven't actually explained what's happening in a way that the public is getting that information uh, and, and can sort of be aware of what's happening. And, and it speaks to this question of, you know, one of the big challenges the industry is facing is convincing people to pay for content again. And if they don't have much of a sense, uh, or at least haven't heard very much of the struggles that the industry is facing, it makes it all the harder to convince them that they ought to shell out, you know, a certain amount of their of their pocketbook each each week or each month or each year uh, to get the news that you're producing. Uh, on, on the other hand, just to put a slightly more positive spin on it, if they haven't noticed how much thinner their newspaper is or how how less you know fulfilling their their broadcast product uh, is journalistically, maybe maybe that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> Well, I, I think what, you know, the, the value that this can serve is, is as, uh, you know, organizations are trying to figure out their strategy moving forward. Uh, and, you know, how one of the things that's happening is particularly in newspapers who are doing a lot of this stuff first because they were the first to really be affected uh, in, in a very significant degree to the move to digital, both audience and, and uh, uh, economically. Uh, and, and as they're moving into digital pay subscriptions and other kinds of models and trying to get other streams of revenue, there's sort of a rebalancing of what used to, what had long traditionally been a very heavy reliance on advertising uh, uh, revenue to support, um, to support the product and, and, to, and to try to rebalance that a bit. So there's a more even split between the revenue that's coming from uh, subscriptions that coming from uh, ad revenue and then a, and then a third leg probably that will be some other kind of revenue that they figure out can be a stream, whether it's uh, uh, website consulting or, you know, publishing or some other means that's going to also help support that. But as organizations try to figure out what's going to work for my market, thinking about these things and understanding where the public's knowledge is, is an important thing to keep in mind and, and to have a, have an awareness of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, the the friends and family uh, chapter in the in this report, uh, in which you note uh, the degree to which uh, news consumption is spurred by the by hearing about news from from friends or from family. You could I guess you could think of this as the original social media, the the non digital social media and the digital social media. Um, Two thirds of Americans at least somewhat often seek out a full news story after hearing about an event or an issue from friends and family, and fully seventy two percent get most. Most of their news from friends and family via word of mouth uh, versus only 15% uh, who get it from social media in the in the digital sense of that term. Um, do, do you have a, a sense on, on how those numbers fit into previous generations of data? Is this, are, are, is this learning from friends and family on the increase? 
Well, what we've seen in the past is that, um, you know, going directly to a news website or directly to a news outlet is still the most common way people get news. And we have, you know, data that we released as a part of last year's State of the Media, actually, that, that spoke to this. But the area of friends and family is growing uh, and social media is growing and, and the degree to which sort of, you know, you're getting about news. Again, going back to the to this survey that we did on how people learn about local news and information, uh, friends and family, if you will, or word of mouth uh, was was a was a, a very popular way people got uh, certain types of news and information. Uh, so it, one of the questions we had was the degree to which, number one, it's actually driving people to get the full news story, the actual news story that was produced by a, an outlet, and the degree to which it's still uh, connected to conversation, physical conversation or phone conversation versus social media. So sort of how much and to what degree are people really turning to social media as their main mechanism of this uh, word of mouth, friends and family uh, uh, conversation. And, and did you have a read on what the 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 pathway is from when when there's this attempt to learn more about something? In other words, uh, I tell my friend, uh, "Hey, you know, something big just happened in the Middle East." The friend is my friend is interested. Does do how, do we know to the extent that he then decides, "Oh, I need to go to nytimes.com to find out," or does he go to Google and search "big thing that just happened in the Middle East"? Or you know, any idea of what what the mechanism is from the moment of interest to the to the path of inquiry. Well, uh, we didn't follow up exactly on this survey, but it, but again, what we saw on the other survey, uh, and and actually several different uh, areas of research that we've done, is that um, uh, sort of up at the top have been going directly to a website and then and and search uh, with going to a website, a news website or a news outlet, uh, uh, still the primary way, but search not too far behind. Now, this, some of this data and this research was done uh, in the very early days of tablets and, 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 you know, with much of the population still not having them and, and even not too engaged in terms of in-depth news on their smartphone and really have the app culture, if you will. And, and as those things have been, be, become more developed and reached a broader population, particularly as the price point has come down for some of these, um, the degree to which people are going to specific outlets as opposed to using search has grown. Uh, so the, the sort of the mobile is less built around search than the desktop era to kind of sum that up, uh, uh, which would suggest that as since we see the vast majority of people saying they're going to seek out more information uh, to seek out an actual news story uh, once they hear about something from a from a friend or a family member, uh, the, the most recent development su suggests that the likelihood of going to a particular outlet uh, as opposed to just searching for that term in Google, may be growing. But again, search is still a common way as well. Yeah, yeah. And w one thing that that is, uh, I, I, I think I'm thinking that's interesting in part because when when uh, news organizations think about optimizing for social media, they in a, at a certain level that's a statement that the brand is not as important as it used to be because people are going to discover things by finding a link in their Twitter stream or, or, or on Facebook and the the brand name attached to it is not quite as important as being in that stream. But it seems like when you're looking at how someone takes that 
bit of information they heard to an action to go to a new site, the brand is is stronger in that context because you you, you think I'm going to go to nytimes.com, I'm going to go to cnn.com or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right, and and you do see. Um, you know, when, when they've gotten news uh, electronically, so sort of through social or through email, in many cases it's following a link that's then going to take them to that direct news story. So, you know, and the link in, in, in most cases, which would be to a particular news outlet's uh, coverage of that event or that issue or that story. Um, and, and, again, what we've seen in the mobile realm is in many ways sort of reinvigorating the value of uh, that people place on brand. When we asked people about downloading apps and we said, what is it that, that led you to download a particular news app? Uh, up at the top uh, uh, was the fact that it came uh, from a news outlet that I uh, valued. I'm not sure if that was the exact word, but basically a news outlet that I liked, that I valued. Uh, up there also was the fact that it was free or cost very little, which <laughs> sort of is the plus and minus for news. Uh, but but a sense that um, that I'm going to this because it is a brand that I trust. And then this idea that you're going to come across incidental news, things that you weren't searching for. And again, an, a, a personal interest. When we ask people why you're reading these longer articles on your, on your tablet or on your smartphone, uh, uh, 90-some percent said uh, that it, it, you know, in, in, most, in many cases, that it was, it was just out of personal interest uh, that I was doing. It wasn't because I needed to do it for work. or uh, So, again, all those things suggest um, uh, uh, th- that there is a value in the brand and that, and that people are making choices. And in most cases, you're only going to have a certain number of news apps that you're going to put in your mix of all the other kind of apps that you have on your device. So people are making choices. And of course, that's the that's that that brand building character is part of why news organizations love the idea of apps so much, or have loved the idea of apps so much, and also why some the flipboards of the world, or the zeits of the world, or the the ones that have a brand but is a brand about leading you to other brands are both very alluring and very threatening to the news organizations. Exactly. Yeah, um, I, I did want to ask also about uh, something in the in the report about about political coverage for the 2012 race. I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about what uh, the details here. You said in, in uh, the report says, I shouldn't say you, you didn't write every word of this report, I imagine. Maybe you did. Um, in the 2012 race, only 27% of statements in the media about the character and records of the presidential candidates originated with journalists, while roughly twice that many came from political partisans. This is a reversal from a dozen years earlier when half came from journalists and a little more than a third came from the campaigns. Um, can, can you unpack that for me a little bit? What, uh, can you give me an example of the kinds of statements that you'd be talking about? Sure. So this was looking at um, what we would call sort of the character threads or the uh, uh, statements about the record or the character. So things like, um, you know, President Obama, you know, doesn't understand the working class or Mitt Romney is a rich elitist or President Obama is a Mormon. These, these threads that permeate through the coverage of the campaign. And we've done this study every election cycle since 2000, a presidential election cycle since 2000. And these narratives, you know, emerge uh, for each cycle and we, and we will, um, you know, sort of follow them for a while and then focus on the ones that end up emerging as the most prominent, a certain number of positive and a certain number of negatives. And when we look at those, we then say, where did that idea, where was that idea coming from? Uh, who was the source of that? Uh, and what we saw as far back in, um, 
in uh, a, a, a decade ago was the um, uh, journalists themselves were responsible for about half of those so that they were they were following the campaign in a way where they could see the narratives and 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 in a way help to create and and drive what the focus of that of the election was going to be what the conversation was going to center around and what we saw happen this year was was really a shift where much more of that was driven by what the candidates in the campaigns were saying and 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 what that speaks to is the is the ability of the campaigns to get their messages directly into uh what the coverage was for that particular day and and throughout the campaign uh which suggests both uh, uh, you know, perhaps the the reflection of, uh, of fewer resources to be able to cover very deeply, to stay on top of a story day in and day out, to be able to spend time digging deep, talking to different sources, et cetera, et cetera, that more and more of that was coming directly from the campaigns themselves. It also suggests the degree to which uh, 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 we saw a very high level of negativity in this past campaign because so many of the messages being put forth were negative messages about the opponent and that those you know, were the ones really driving much of the uh, uh, of the uh, the thread of the narrative, this particular go around. I guess one of the, the the questions I would have about about that is the degree to which journalists were ever really driving those narratives. I mean, if 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 you think if if we go back to ninety two or ninety six or, or two thousand, if you because uh, uh, campaigns did not have the same kind of direct reach uh, as as they do today, um, if you wanted to plant the idea that. Bill Clinton has problem X or, you know, uh, you know, Al Gore has problem, problem Y, you kind of had to go through a reporter because the reporter was the route that brought you to, to the audience in the end. Uh, I, I guess I'm just, I'm just curious how much, how you're able to delineate out that, that sourcing since, you know, I, I would imagine that a lot of those things that were sourced to the journalists in previous campaigns were at a deeper level sourced to folks within one campaign or the other. Well, but then what would happen is there's more questioning on the part of the journalist, or there's alter- there are alternatives put in there. There are other ways of, of viewing it. The opposite is put in as well, uh, and that's what you know. That's what there's less of. There's sort of less of of the questioning, less of the saying, well. Uh, okay, but I'm going to actually talk to four more people uh, about this, or and then decide whether I'm going to write about it, or have all you know the the wider range of uh, views on that in this story as well. So just a more dominance uh, in terms of what was in there that uh, uh, coming from the campaign. Can you give an example or two of of uh, a mes- um, uh, something that happened in in this campaign that would fit into either the journalist driven or the you know campaign or partisan driven uh, categories? Well, sure. If you see, I mean, one of the one of the top campaigns about Obama was you know that he hasn't done enough for the economy, and when we looked at the uh, social media efforts of the two campaigns, uh, which we issued a separate report on. Uh, and one, one of the things we saw was the degree to which the Romney campaign's focus was, was anti-Obama and particularly on the economy. So driving that message, because the economy was such a big issue uh, 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 and because it was something people have, have uh, shown that they care so much about, that um, one of the main focuses of the Romney campaign through their direct 
efforts was uh, uh, to to get the message across that he hasn't done enough uh, for the economy. And indeed, you know, over uh, um, a third of the of the you know personal assertions that we measured in this report um, for Obama were built around that particular message. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess I'm just uh, I'm sorry I just don't quite quite get this. The, so in a previous cycle, uh, it might have been more likely that it would have been individual journalists saying Obama didn't hasn't done enough and sort of making that judgment call. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, it would have been more. It would have been it would have been more a reported thing. It would have been more saying, okay, well look, let's look at the uh, let's look at what Obama's done uh, on the economy over the last year, uh, uh, or something that was bringing in a range of different sources, or um, you know, what the journalists had gone out and done reporting and been able to evaluate for, for him and herself as opposed to just a, a message. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually wraps into something that I, I think sort of goes throughout the the report and just sort of throughout what's going on with news today is that, as you said, there's more news now than ever by by most measures. But uh, it seems like it, it feels like to me, at least, that there's a there's a greater gradation in uh, there's a greater reliance on individuals having to seek out that news than perhaps was the case uh, in an earlier media regime. So, uh, for example, if you were a real political junkie and you were reading lots of liberal or conservative blogs, you were seeing lots of of analyses and and commentaries and sort of you know you know taking the messages coming from the campaigns and, and put it, testing them in some sort of way. Um, but that requires the labor of doing that. And it seems like there's, there's a greater gap between the, you know, the 10th percentile and the 90th percentile in terms of how much knowledge someone has and how much news they consume. Is that, it, it seems like that was a thread coming through some, some of the things we talked about today. Does that make sense? Uh, I'm not sure that I'm exactly following what you're saying. <laughs> it's sort of the, 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 the people that, the people that know know a lot, and then there's and there's a small portion of those, and then there's a whole lot of the population that doesn't know much at all. Uh, it's sort of like that, and in the sense that it's very easy for someone who has a media diet like mine, or I imagine like yours, or probably like ninety percent of the people who are listening to this, uh, to think they're in a universe where there's far more news than they ever than they ever would have had access to pre-internet, pre-digital. Um, but it's that's that experience doesn't necessarily transfer all the way up and down the the you know the the, the breadth of, of the American people. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, there's still a, a you know, a, a decent percentage of the population that, you know, isn't getting much of their news online uh, at all. Uh, so if you think of, you know, all the sources that we are turning to in a digital way, um, uh, there's certainly not the wide, wide spectrum, spectrum that, that those like, like you and, and myself and other very heavy news consumers uh, uh, tend to go to. The other thing that, you know, that, that uh, is in question is the degree to which when people get either in there uh, through social media or whatever uh, venue they may be getting news are tending to move to those kinds of sources that validate their own way of seeing things. You know, so this idea of, you know, going to a particular radio talk show because I agree with, uh, uh, you know, that, that way of seeing things, that way of thinking. Uh, and, and one of the questions that's sort of circulating around how does social media in- influence, you know, what people are learning about is, well, if they're getting news from their friends and their family through social media and through these people that they've, you know, quote unquote, liked or friended, um, or signed up to follow, uh, uh, does that mean they're getting a more narrow news diet overall? Again, that's an area that, that we very much would like to explore more deeply 
um, uh, to really see if that's actually happening or not. Yeah. So what else are you guys going to be interested in in 2013 when you look at your research agenda coming forward? Uh, other than that, uh, you know, when, when we read this report next year, perhaps, or all the reports that will come out between now and then, uh, what are some of the areas that you think are most, uh, most you know, ready for fruit, fruitful research right now? Well, there's a lot that's worth um, uh, digging into, I think, in terms of uh, the information that's available to people uh, in there at the local level. Uh, in terms of their learning, uh, you know, what kind of void is there in uh, getting information about what's happening in your, for your state, your local governments, um, other policy issues, uh, and sort of how does that pair with people's knowledge mm-hmm. space. Um, I think that's a, you know, an area where there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot more research that, that we can do there. Uh, there's also, um uh, a lot more to explore in terms of what's happening in economics, um, looking beyond sort of the experiments and innovations that the newspaper and the, and the newspaper industry is trying to, one, begin to track and see as these things are in existence long enough to really be showing results. I mean, you've got to wait to evaluate, you know, long enough to actually say, oh, there is some sustaining revenue coming in from this, uh, to, to the extent that those seem to be uh, helping the industry as far as revenue goes, as well as, you know, what, what, what other, um, what other sectors of the media are beginning to do in, in terms of their forward thinking. And, and then there's the, you know, there's certainly the digital revenue side. I mean, one of the other things that's in this report is, uh, looks at the degree to which, uh, some of the new areas that seem to be of promise for, uh, the news industry on the digital side, uh, particularly for ad revenue, really seem to already be um, overtaken by the technology giants like Google and, and Facebook. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of money to go around elsewhere. Uh, okay, well, terrific. Well, this is it's a, another great report, another with lots of, of uh, good food for thought. And uh, all, all my listeners should listen to it, should, should read it. And, uh, and uh, thanks very much for talking with me. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care, guys. Well, that's episode nine of Press Publish. Hope you enjoyed it. You should go check out the full report. It, again, is at stateofthemedia.org. If you like our show, subscribe. You can find us on iTunes and iTunes U or through RSS, Google Reader, Rest in Peace. Or you can just check us out every week on SoundCloud. The Neiman Journalism Lab is a project of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard University, home of the Neiman Fellowships, Neiman Reports Magazine, Neiman Storyboard, and much, much more. Find us at neiman.harvard.edu, and that is N-I-E-M-A-N, not like Neiman Marcus. This episode was recorded at Walter Lippmann House. Walter Lippmann, who said, Football strategy does not originate in a scrimmage. It is useless to expect solutions in a political campaign. Our theme music, again, is Missing You by Trash 80. Check back next week for another episode of Press Publish. But until then, always remember, disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you. <laughs>